Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Cockle Gauntlet Pro Evan Preparis. And joining me for another episode, I don't know how many this is in a row, but it is a lot. Brenna Calvert, welcome back. Thanks. I'm actually laughing because, yes, it's been a few in a row, so let's keep going. <laughs> well, this is actually the second podcast we're recording. We're doubling down today because we're all in on, on oh, podcasting. It's a serious weekend, y'all. So... So our guest today is Luke Labonte. Luke Labonte, we've had him on the podcast before. He's a nutritionist. I'm going to ask him to go over some of his bio, but he's got a um, bachelor's and a master's in nutrition or something like that. <laughs> and so he's worked with all sorts of athletes from, you know, pro athletes to amateur athletes to people just looking to lose weight. And then on top of that, uh, division one athletes. So uh, Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, now uh, give us a little bit more of a rundown of your bio because I did a pretty poor job explaining all your qualifications. <laughs> well, uh, your abbreviated version was uh, a fairly accurate, so uh, I'll try to keep it equally as abbreviated since I'm pretty long-winded. Um, bachelor's, master's in nutrition, uh, registered licensed dietitian, um, worked at two Division One universities. So I worked at Kent State University, that is in Kent, Ohio, and I currently work at East Carolina University, or ECU, in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, like you mentioned, work with plenty of athletes on whatever level they're interested in, whether it's uh, you know more of the recreational athletes, uh, your semi-professional or your competitive amateur athletes, however they prefer to be referred to as, uh, as well as your Division I athletes through both of my positions. Um, also did inpatient acute care through University Hospitals of Cleveland. Um, did some work, you know, on all different floors uh, across hospital systems in Cleveland, which is uh, a very interesting experience. I do not regret the experience I had in there, but I am definitely uh, not an inpatient acute care person. Nice. All right, well... It is good to have you on the podcast, Brennan. I do have to add one more qualification that I've added recently, and we can explain later. <laughs> um, registered dietitian and magician is what this I man like, is. I like magic. Yeah, <laughs> magic with food, so it. we'll explain later. <laughs> so Thank you. <laughs> Brenna says that because she's been getting nutrition help from Luke, and on top of that, Luke is now the official nutritionist of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. Woo-hoo. So you can expect to hear a lot of tips and information from him and um, stuff like that over the next year along the Conquer the Gauntlet Facebook page and along the CTG Pro Team website. So for this episode, what we did, we did something a little bit different. We decided to post the questions on the Strength and Speed page and ask people, you know, what do you want to know about from a nutritionist? So we're going to run down some of the questions along with who asked them, and uh, Luke's going to give an answer and kind of explain it, and we'll kind of discuss from there. So with it being, you know, essentially the end of 2018, start of 2019, you know, holiday parties, people like to go go all in on them, lots of drinking going on, especially around Christmas time and New Year's Eve. So first question is from AC Hell, uh, who was at the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team weekend. His question is, alcohol, you know, just kind of wants more information. Does it negatively affect performance? Can I still drink it and perform? You know, kind of what's the balance there? 
That is a wonderful question, and I can tell you um, through working at two Division I universities with a reputation of being party schools, Kent State and ECU very much uh, quote-unquote party schools, um, surprisingly, our athletes managed to perform at pretty high levels uh, despite, you know, some alcoholic beverage consumption. Um, you know, th- there are some detriments to it. Um, you know, it may negatively impact motor skills, hydration status, uh, aerobic performance, recovery. Um, a lot of the information that, you know, I'm quoting here is from the USOC or the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, you know, of course, most people are are pretty familiar with alcohol being a diuretic, uh, which may cause a loss of water and potentially water-soluble vitamins um, through excretory manner, so uh, your onesies and your twosies. Um, As well, um, you know, it may lower your inhibitions and uh, increase risk for dietary indiscretions, which means uh, you might be a little bit more likely to eat some foods you might not normally eat. Talk a little bit greater. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, like... Yeah, I mean, and I, I tell my students, I'm like, listen, I was a college student too, you know, like I, I know how at 3 a.m. after a, after a bender, you're going to go out and grab some Taco Bell, but, uh, you know, are those calories really being used effectively and are they needed? And of course, um, alcohol is, is fairly dense in calories, uh, 7K cal per gram more precisely. Uh, I won't get more into thermodynamics like thermic effect of food or anything, but it may cause an increase in caloric intake, which is not necessarily nutrient-dense. With that being said, those are some of the more specific drawbacks of it. Um, There has been some research that has indicated um, some potential minor health benefits, um, but this is more associated between light to moderate drinking, um, not necessarily your binge drinking, which we see in a lot of I guess you could say students, athletes in general, and, you know, the criteria for binge drinking isn't too crazy. You know, for most people, if you're drinking three or more drinks in a short period of time, that would be considered binge drinking. And I mean, especially shots. for most people. Oh, I know, right. It's nuts. Like when you look through the data and you see like, oh, like three drinks in an hour, you know, and you're like, oh, well, you know, that's not, that's not too hard to throw back three drinks in an hour when you're sitting at a bar, sitting at a party. I mean, that's, that's super I mean, not say I'm a huge shrink or anything, but I'm actually a huge lightweight. You know, I get made fun for it all the time. But, you know, even in that respect, three drinks is not a whole lot. Um, but anyhow, uh, you know, there are some potential health benefits. Um, it may help reduce risk of, um, let's say, myocardial infarction or heart attack, uh, ischemic stroke, uh, peripheral vascular disease, um, death from all cardiovascular causes, Um, But a lot of this data is correlational, and, you know, there's some theories about it regarding, you know, those who drink light to moderately also have different lifestyle behaviors that may complicate that interpretation. Um, But with that being said, you know, if if an athlete wants to perform at a high level, they can still consume alcohol. They just have to, you know, understand moderation. Um, You know, if we're talking daily drinking for men, nowhere you know, nowhere or nothing more than one to two drinks daily. Um, for women, no more than one drink daily. And these are just general basic guidelines. Um, of course, you know, there, there's like, for example, you have a, a let's say a uh, lineman, you know, that, that weighs 350 pounds, obviously going to out drink, you know, OCR runner that, that weighs 175 pounds. Um, but, you know, there's a little bit of leeway with there depending on athlete weight and size. Um, but if I had to give like a final verdict, 
um, I would say, you know, it, it can be incorporated in your diet as long as um, your nutritional intake is appropriate um, to meet your energy needs and it is not sacrificing any, uh, I guess you could say, let me put it this way, like, so you're prioritizing the right foods instead of alcohol and when you're consuming alcohol, you're being mindful that you also have to stay hydrated. That's also very important. Um, if we're talking about being inside of an adaptive training phase or if you're getting close to competition, I would avoid or limit consumption within 48 hours if possible. You know, so let's say if you have a, a race on Saturday, I probably would not be drinking on Thursday or Friday. Um, you know, limit that as much as possible. So I want to interrupt and I would, with you being saying that right there. I personally, and then I've seen just recently on an Instagram story, um, Nicole Miracle had posted and was like one of those Instagram stories, you know, asked me a question. And someone said, what do you do? What's your ritual pre-race night before? And she has stated, and we've seen on social media, and I too, a glass of wine the night before because it kind of like calms your nerves, race jitters the night before. But again, is that completely against, I mean, for someone, a high level athlete like Nicole or anybody else, she stays on her regimen or anybody else. And then that kind of lessens the nerves at night. But is that going to be affected? Like, will she, her body react to that the next day or another person if they just had one glass of wine? pre race? That's a great question. And honestly, I think one glass of wine is not going to make that very big of a detriment as long as you're maintaining good hydration, glycogen stores are full, um, you're prioritizing what you should be prioritizing. And, uh, you know, there's gives and takes, I guess you can say. If I have an athlete that says a glass of wine helps get me, you know, my mind straight the night before, it helps me de-stress, helps me sleep, you know, uh, a little bit more appropriately, even though it may disrupt sleep cycles, I don't foresee one glass of wine for most individuals really causing any negative detriment, but, uh, you know, sometimes I've heard of some guys, let's say, uh, for example, like Tough Mudder, for example, you know, definitely the days when I used to run Tough Mudder, it was, you know, more camaraderie, more fun, and I remember having some buddies that would go out the night before and have, like, three, four, five, six drinks, and then, you know, go, like, hey, let's let's run 12 miles and do 20 obstacles tomorrow, but, you know, and then, again, we're talking about people who are at that sort of race, they're probably not trying to perform for, you know, for winning or for maximal sports capacity. So, uh, you know, and honestly, I think it's individual, but I don't foresee one drink really compromising anything at that point. Um, and, you know, there's there's even, like, jokes. Like, I, I remember someone linked uh, talking about, like, whiskey and deadlifts, people, you know, drinking alcohol before lifting sessions and things like that, um, you know. I, I try to stick more closely to the data and what's suggested by gold standard, like USOC, um, and then just kind of go more specifically case to case there. Like, in honesty, one drink's not really going to kill you, but, uh, you know, multiple drinks the night before may not be optimal. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, there's a large uh, psychological effect there. You know, if you're saying this helps relax, this helps relax me, or this, you know, I, I drink a shot of whiskey, now I feel stronger. <laughs> if you really believe that to be true, like it's probably going to have an actual benefit. It's going to translate to the actual weights. Um, yeah. For, for me personally, I just found it easier to see things in like a little more black and white where it's like, well, you know, most of the studies are saying alcohol is not helpful, so I'm just going to get rid of it. And it's to me, it's a math equation, right? Like, is my results at races more important to me than drinking, you know, on a Saturday night? And for me, the answer is yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't regret that at all. 
and uh, yeah, I, I see it that way. You know, I think there are some studies agree that like you know red wine with help of, like vasodilation type stuff like that and heart health. Um, but I don't know. I think you can get a lot of those benefits from other food sources and other products that have fewer negative side effects. Exactly. Like I like to compare it to you know Lucky Charms, right? Like Lucky Charms on the box is like fortified with vitamins, and it's like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's got vitamins in there. It's also got a ton of sugar. Like so, maybe you should get your vitamins from someplace else and not consume all that sugar. Um, so mm-hmm. this. Well, when I can play devil's advocate to the alcohol thing and play both sides because I can say, obviously I'm not promoting this or recommending it to anybody, but being a restaurant person, I, I, I drink heavier than probably most athletes. And there was a couple races. I would have a couple beers before most races, not going to lie. I do recall a race last year, two years ago, I think it was Little Rock, possibly CTG, that I wound up, I won the race, but it was the post-dinner that someone was like, how did you, like, I don't understand how you manage that because I saw you have six beers last night. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I did do that. It's happened, but I wouldn't recommend it because now working with you, Luke, I've come to the point where, like, I've, I I made a conscious effort in my brain to be like, all right, let's not drink for a week, see what happens. You know, I raced, did good, and then I've had a couple of drinks since then, but it's also because I went a week without it, I I, my body's already switched to be like, oh, I don't really need that or want it. It wasn't doing anything for me. So it's one of those, like, if you have a habit, maybe just try and break it with alcohol per se. But I do think I'm, like, curious to my next race the night before, am I going to want a glass of wine like I used to or, <laughs> like, yeah. <just> not do it? <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it, uh, as much as research is going to indicate something, I always encourage people, um, not that I'm discounting research or anything, that always use yourself as a, an N equals one experiment um, because there are, you know, nutrition isn't that old of a field compared to others. I mean, you know, modern nutrition has been around for maybe 100 years. And every day there's new research coming out. Some research contradicts previous research based on research models and methods and things like that. So I always say, you know what? Try something. If it works for you, then great. Continue with it. Um, don't push that on someone else because maybe their body's adapted in a different way. Um, and also just make sure, I guess you could say be mindful of the things that you're doing, like trying, like, like maybe drinking, uh, you know, three bottles before isn't necessarily going to be conducive if we can see, you know, all the scientific evidence indicating something. But if you're like, hey, maybe a glass before, like you're saying, there's that psychological element to it. And then as well, um, I can't say that the placebo effect is very strong. So, I mean, if someone thinks they perform better by having a glass of wine the night before and that's something that they, they enjoy and makes them feel great about themselves, by all means, like, continue to do that. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, a lot of athletes are very ceremonial, very superstitious. And if you find something that works for you, if you find that equation, like, continue with it. You know, roll with it. Maybe adapt it, change it a little bit here or there, depending on how you're feeling or what's being suggested by research, you know, if you're willing to try and incorporate other elements. But if you find something that works for you, I always encourage people, you know, like, go ahead, try it, do it. Because uh, there's always two experts when I'm when I'm talking to people, because I might be an expert on subject matter, talking about certain things nutrition related, but uh, that person is the expert in their own skin, because I'm never going to feel how they're feeling. I'm never going to understand if it's working, you know, more from... Um, 
a subjective feeling as opposed to objective because we can get objective markers for, you know, body composition changes and things like that and health changes. But I think there's definitely important for, you know, I think more of a partnership and clients in that respect. I'm going to also add, I think I'm going to use the, a common term I've heard before. Some people are successful in spite of what they do, not because of what they do. Oh yeah. You know, like just because not everything in your life is a hundred percent perfect to perform doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you know, you might do something and that, um, you know, that, that, may, that may not be the reason you're performing so well. It might be you happen to be a genetically gifted runner who's put in <laughs> hundreds of miles of training. And you know what? That one glass of wine maybe doesn't affect you at all. Maybe it hurts you, you know, 0.01%, which is <laughs> you're still winning. You're still beating the field uh, of women that you're chasing or um, that are chasing you or men, whatever. So. Exactly. And I mean, like, there's even research indicating that some people are more genetically adapted to metabolizing wine than others, or not wine, just alcohol in general. So, you know, if you're a fast alcohol metabolizer, you can probably go through drinks more quickly than your your buddy who's a lightweight, like me, for example. Lightweight, don't drink a lot, but, you know, one or two drinks is usually more than enough to to get the, uh, I guess you say the, the outcome, you know, those feelings that most people are looking for from drinking. I'm just uh, going to go with, I have a fast metabolism for alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> whether I do or not. You're Irish, right? Exactly. See, there you go. It's the ginger <laughs> in me. There you go. <laughs> I, I had, I stopped drinking, uh, 2014 basically. And I had a one beer when we were at the Guinness brewery at in the, uh, ireland and i was like tipsy off one beer <laughs> like i wasn't even done with my beer and i was like oh man i'm really feeling it it was like uh, it's so embarrassing in your so. defense it was a guinness yeah grown uh, man half a beer and he's done <laughs> so. all right let's let's keep moving uh we got a lot of good questions so this one's from one of our strength and speed athletes james mcveigh has a monster deadlift if anyone wants to go check that out on our face on our uh, website but he asked do masters male and female do masters male female athletes need more protein than younger athletes? That is an absolutely wonderful question. Um, so I actually I enjoyed answering this question. So there is some research that indicates that masters athletes may require a little bit more protein to facilitate muscle protein synthesis than younger athletes, although it's not 100% certain. Um, there's not a ton of research in this area. Um, but we have seen some as kind of indicated that um, they do require a little bit more specifically of, let's say, uh, leucine, which is more associated with muscle protein synthesis. It's kind of like the trigger to start that uh, that reaction, I guess you could say. I won't get super into what it would look like. Sometimes I like draw it out for clients and things like that. Like, oh, this is what uh, it looks like. It kind of falls along action potential. But anyway, so they would need a little bit more of that stimulus to get the same. But uh, I usually, when I'm talking with masters athletes, I don't necessarily always say eat more protein. I think that we should focus a little bit more on getting quality of protein, working on effective protein timing, because you're going to get more benefit from doing that than opposed to just, you know, blankly increasing protein. Um, so basically, long story short, without getting so into the science of it or whatnot, because I have paragraphs written out, um, 
you know, we want to focus more on incorporating leucine-rich foods in certain increments. A lot of research has indicated that spacing meals approximately every three to five hours is going to be a little bit more advantageous for protein feedings than it would be every one or two hours because, you know, some people will do like six, seven meals a day, but in that circumstance, you're not really going to get any more benefit from that as opposed to eating a little bit more protein-dense meals. Again, if you're thinking more along the lines of like an action potential, there's kind of like a cool-down period between activating that stimulus, reaching that threshold, and then before you can do it again, and again, that's, that's research indicating a little bit more, three to five hours. And then consistent intake of protein, from what we've seen from some research, it'd be around a half of a gram per kilogram per meal if you're using like a four meals daily model. Um, and, you know, that'll come up to, you know, around 2 to 2.4 grams per kilogram daily. Um, and, again, focusing on leucine-rich foods, um, foods with high bioavailability, um, so things like animal-based foods, especially like uh, milk products, animal meat. Um, there are some vegetarian foods that are rich in leucine. Let's say, for example, like lentils. I absolutely love my lentils, and I'm like a spokesperson for lentils. But incorporating those foods in certain increments will also be a little bit more advantageous. Um, anyhow, do you want me to go a little bit more into what, depth? Into talk it? about those lentils. I don't know anything about you and a spokesperson for lentils. Uh, my like my clients always tease me because uh, when I'm sitting down, like when I'm when I'm talking with my students and things like that in consultations, um, they're talking about like meal prep ideas and things like that. I'm like, you can make a pot full of lentil soup, and the thing is, it's dirt cheap. Is super quick and it is very dense. One cup of lentils has approximately 20 grams of protein, around 14 grams of fiber, very good source of dietary molybdenum, um, good source of leucine coming from it. I mean, like, just even if you just do lentils, not even lentil soup, you can make seven cups of lentils for a buck in less than 30 minutes. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I look at from a, a cost-benefit perspective, you know, a lot of my students and even a lot of my clients, you know, they may not have a lot of experience cooking food or they don't feel confident cooking food. I'm like, listen, you boil water and then you put lentils in a pot for 20, 25 minutes and you're good. Like, that's all you have to do. Are you, you know, talking about it, me? <laughs> oh, no, no. If anything, you have a lot more experience. Like you said, you know, you had some experience inside the food industry I mean, I hate to say it, like, I, I love my students. I love working at a Division One university. But the thing is, uh, especially students nowadays, they have such poor confidence in cooking and such poor skill in cooking, and they don't necessarily prioritize it or they don't see the value in cooking it. Um, and oftentimes I have to talk about the benefits of it. You know, this is what you can get when you're cooking at home. It's going to be cheaper. Um, you know, you're going to be able to make, you know, more foods that are conducive towards your goals. Uh, you're going to make more healthy, nutritious foods because oftentimes, you know, it's easier to stop and, you know, get something at Chick-fil-A than it is to go home and cook. But essentially, long story short, that's, uh, that's how I feel about lentils. I think they're awesome. I mean, I make seven cups of lentils a week. I eat seven cups of lentils a week. And, uh, I am not complaining about it. Well, I always think that's funny what you're saying that like nowadays it's just one of those things that I don't know if it's just a lifestyle change and everybody's so busy these, these days they don't take that time when like you cook with your kids and you know spend the time in the kitchen with showing them good foods and cooking habits and eating habits and now it's just nowadays everybody's so busy they just 
I don't have time for it. So it's like, yeah, like you said, your college students probably these days didn't spend a whole lot of time baking and cooking and having fun. It just, they did school and they missed all that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely sad. Like I, I, I tell all my students, you know, I understand the boat that you're in. Like I jokingly tell them, I'm not old, but I jokingly tell them I'm old, but I'm not that old. You know, I understand what it's like to go to college in this millennia and have all these pressures placed on you. And sometimes us telling them, oh, yeah, exercise, um, you know, sleep eight hours a night, uh, have healthy social life, be a straight A student, um, do volunteer work, be part of extracurriculars. And, oh, yeah, eat healthy foods and, you know, make all your foods at home. You know, it, it, sometimes it's unrealistic in that circumstance, especially seeing that, hey, this is their first time being an adult, being exposed to real life. I mean, I, I know adults that can't even handle, you know, all of that, and they're well out of college, and they and they had that adulting experience. But, uh, you know, sometimes just describing them, hey, this is going to be significantly more cost-effective. You're going to be able to eat foods that work towards your goals. You're going to be able to prepare foods for a lifetime and I think that's important, too, because, you know, looking in the future generations, you know, even though I keep my my clients' goals in mind, their immediate goals, I'm thinking, well, you know, if, if I'm telling you to do something, it's likely going to be doing something that I would want you to do for the rest of your lifetime. I mean, let's say, for example, client comes in and they're like, I heard eating chicken, broccoli, and rice for every meal is great. Should I do that? This is just an example. I'm not telling anyone to eat chicken, broccoli, and rice for every meal. The first thing I ask them, like, people to do that. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right, uh, person A. So you you think that eating chicken, broccoli, and rice is gonna be you know something that you could do the rest of your life? And they're like, well, maybe not. I'm like, well, maybe we should work on habits that you can see yourself doing for the rest of your life, as opposed to working on all these small things. We look at big picture. I'm like, well, let's make sure that you're balancing your meals. Let's make sure that you're, you know, using good cooking preparation. Let's make sure you're using great ingredients. Let's make sure there's variety in your diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and essentially, I believe in giving tools so that person can develop their own habits and their own skills through tools that I provide and education that I provide. Um, they become more confident, and with that increase in confidence, you know, comes an increase in, in efficacy and them uh, actually following through and doing that, which will work towards their goals, I guess you can say. Yeah, no, that's an absolute great answer. I mean, especially as we get into the new year, people are like, oh, well, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, so I'm going to go on this hardcore crash diet for the next two months, and I'm going to slim down. And then they do that, and then they immediately balloon back up because they've, you know, they haven't changed their lifestyle. They've changed a, they've shortly changed the, their eating habits and sometimes gone on like a starvation diet to lose that weight. So, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's, say there. don't even get me into the potential health detriments of yo-yo dieting, crash dieting, um, because it, it's a nasty cycle. And I mean, I can, I can understand why a lot of people that lose weight end up gaining the weight back. Just looking at some of the, it's say physiology of it. It's nuts. It's always those times. I, I wish New Year resolutions weren't what they are at, like, the gym because you get all the people that are like, oh, this is my New Year's resolution. And then the gym's crazy. And then, like, by February <laughs> or March, it's just done. It's like, please stop making health resolutions on New Year's because you think it's the cool thing to do because most of you aren't going to stick to it. And mm -hmm. it's just, like, an actual lifestyle change. That's why I feel like mine was kind of crazy timing to start working with you right before the holidays. But it's mm -hmm. actually... Good timing, I think, better that way, but also pre-New Year's. It's not my resolution, and I'm just going to do it. 
But the, the New Year's resolution thing is just, it bugs me. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. I used to be the cynical kind of person that, you know, I would hate the gym got three times more populated. You couldn't get in the squat rack. And eventually I was like, Luke, you need to stop being like an a-hole and you need to start, you know, like lifting people up. You know, if you see someone that's struggling in the gym or they don't know what they're doing, you know, give them a little advice here or there, you know, try to help them. And and they're, but, they're trying. So yeah. it's like you give them yeah. props, you know, for a month or two, they're, they're trying. So it's like, you feel bad. I don't want to knock them down, but then I'll give you more props if you're there in June still. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's sad because, you know, I, not to throw out numbers or anything, because I think if I throw out a number, it should be, you know, educated number. But most of the people that do start during New Year's in general, like I would say at least three quarters of them, probably aren't going to carry through with their New Year's resolutions by the time summer comes. You know, it's going to be, you know, up until February, up until spring break, and then afterwards it's going to kind of fall off a little bit. Uh, but for some reason, New Year's is this is this magic time of the year where people, you know, triple their motivation on anything and really I personally I like that just because it's it's a good time of the year to get in new clients I get so busy but the great <laughs> thing is I try time, to pull, yeah that Christmas like right after Christmas time going to New Year's yeah I mean like you know between basically between uh Thanksgiving to Christmas isn't the best because people are like oh god I don't want to you know have someone tell me what I should be doing right now but um you know, there is a little bit of magic in New Year's, um, you know, that motivation goes up. So hopefully if, you know, if people make those choices and make New Year's resolutions, you know, I salute them for, you know, making goals towards prior toward that prioritizing their health and taking steps forward. But, you know, I also challenge them to try to make those resolutions year long and a lifetime habit. Yeah, I, I love that. I always say, you know, if, if it's important for, enough for you to change your life about it, why are you waiting to a magical date on the calendar? Why are you waiting until January 1st? Why don't you do that on Tuesday? Or, you know, like, what, like what, what are we waiting for? So, and then the other thing I'll add in, I was talking to one of my friends who, you know, who's more of an OCR guy, doesn't really go to the gym per se, and mentioned, like, being self-conscious at the gym. And I'll say, as someone who's been going to the gym for, I mean, years, right? Like, I don't know, 15 years regularly on a, you know, almost daily basis, Mm-hmm. I don't pay attention to how much other people are lifting. Like I don't. You just you just don't look around. Like the only people who are paying attention to how much other people are lifting are people that are self conscious about themselves. Yeah. So they're comparing themselves. Like it, unless you're like a female crushing out deadlifts at like you know three fifteen, then I'm gonna probably start paying attention. <laughs> but like other than that, I don't look. Or if you're making like a lot of noise, right? Like if you're screaming <laughs> while lifting weights, I'm gonna look. Um, and then be like, why are you screaming, you know, at curling, you know, 20 pound weights. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's same thing with a race, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, I've heard people say like, I don't want to come in last. It's like, you know, who, you know, who knows who comes in last at a race, the person who comes in last and the person who comes in second to last, no one else looks, I've never looked at a race results to see who came in last. Cause I don't care. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm not saying that like negatively, but it's like, you know, great job for getting out there and trying, you know, and, uh. It's just not a concern. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I use that same comparison. Like, if you know, if you're an OCR person who doesn't necessarily go to the gym, think about how many times you've looked at a race to figure out who came in last. And then also, fig- like, I use that as a comparison to, yeah. like, how often you go to the gym to see how much other people are lifting. Yeah. So, that's a good comparison. Yeah. I All right. We're going to jump into I, some more. Oh, yep. Go ahead. Yeah. We're going to jump into some more questions, keep the podcast moving along. So Jared Rainier from J Run Fitness, 
threw up a couple of softballs towards you. Um, <laughs> wait, they're actually not softballs. So they're actually good questions that I think some OCR athletes will be interested in. So his first one, fan favorite of OCR, beet juice. You know, mm-hmm. his question is, should I use it? If so, how and when? Basically wants to know more information about beet juice. You know, with um, juice performer, you know, we're, we're a fan of beet juice, but I know the, uh, what's the one? Beet. 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 Uh, why am beet I drawing a blank? That? Beat Elite. Beat Elite. Everyone loves Beat Elite. Like, oh, without this Beat Elite, I wouldn't be able to finish my Spartan sprint. And it's like, <laughs> well, I don't know. You might be giving, <laughs> you may want to give yourself more credit than the uh, than that. But yeah, give us some information about uh, beet juice and kind of beet supplements and go from there. Great question, and I do get this a lot. Um, so a lot of people are probably aware that beet juice is a fantastic source of dietary nitrites or nitrates rather, not nitrites, there's a difference between the two, nitrates. So consumption of nitrates may facilitate conversion to NO or nitric oxide, um, which is associated with improvements inside of aerobic performance, um, most notably from vasodilation and that potential uh, reduction in oxygen costs of exercise. Um, So there is some validity in this, um, but when we talk about, I guess you could say, dosage. Um, Oftentimes, many products are underdosed, so I encourage a lot of consumers to be skeptical um, because through research, we've kind of determined that between 400 and 1,200 milligrams of dietary nitrate is appropriate for exercise performance. And, you know, of course, it's going to vary by the athlete. It's going to vary by the source. So um, the one thing is that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of (laughs) of how much 400 to 1,200 milligrams of dietary nitrate can be. I mean, and I've even used myself as an N equals 1 experiment on this before. Um, You know, that equivalent is one pound of fresh beetroot. So, like, that is... That seems aggressive. Yeah, it's a pretty potent amount to get the the clinically suggested benefits of it. Um, And the thing is, beetroot, you know, you can get dietary nitrates from plenty of sources, but beetroot is generally the easiest source to tolerate, even though it may not be the most dense. Um, but anyway, and of course, you know, cold pressed juices are generally favored by many manufacturers because um, I haven't necessarily found any research to suggest this, but according to manufacturers, um, that cold press is a little bit more preferred. That way there's no heat involved in the processing of it, so there may not be any potential breakdown um, from what I've seen is basically um, as long as you get those nitrates in really in whatever source, it could be cooked beets, it could be beetroot, you still get the benefits. Um, but the thing is, like, the quantity needed to tolerate it, oftentimes products may be underdosed. So definitely looking at a product and making sure that you're getting at least 400, if not more, milligrams of that nitrate. Um, and, you know, using, using my experience, so I'm the kind of person where I try to simulate, if it, if it worked inside of lab experiment, clinical experiment, I'm going to try to take the same solution, the same product, the same suggestions that they use from their methods. Um, so I've kind of done that. I kind of tinkered it a little bit. So, um, you know, during training, I found some benefit. It's not something that I use consistently. It's not something I use year round, but I have done it in the past. Um, but anyhow, so the one thing that I encourage people to do is first, you know, get a source that provides that much 
And then if it already has carbohydrate in it, let's say, for example, you're using straight beetroot that's cold milled, I would make sure that you dilute it fairly well so that the solution is less than 6% uh, carbohydrate to the total solution, so or the solute is less than 6%. That way it can be more optimally absorbed and tolerated because, I mean, I, I tell people, all right, take 1,200 milligrams of dietary nitrate in a cup with eight ounces of water, and it's it's gut-wrenching. It's rough. <laughs> it's, you know, unless you get something, you know, that's a little bit more processed, a little bit more refined, you know, just doing straight beetroot, that's rough. Um, but anyway, you know, if you are going that route, you know, dilute it, and, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a pretty big solution. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, for an individual's needs, you're drinking, you know, 16 to 20 ounces of, of diluted beet juice, um, and I would encourage them to start sipping on it, you know, um, 60 through 120 minutes or an hour to two hours prior to onset of the exercise. Um, but the thing is, I also encourage people, I'm like, why don't you just have a diet that's very rich in nitrates too so you can get the same benefits without necessarily having to use a supplement that you may or may not tolerate? Because I found in my training, if it's a training situation, I can usually tolerate beet juice relatively well. Um, sometimes better than others. I'll say that much. But then if it's before a race situation, I know before races or if I'm doing very high-intensity work, I can't tolerate whatsoever. I get a lot of GI distress, and I won't go too much more in-depth into the symptoms I experience. <laughs> but it's not great. <laughs> so always, if you're going to do it and you plan on doing it before a race, always try to simulate race conditions before using it. And you um, actually, what you said, something uh, added a question I wanted to ask, just kind of, you were speaking on cold-pressed juices. Mm -hmm. To me, is it just this, like, a health trend? I remember a while ago, it was like everybody was buying a juicer and juicing their own vegetables and fruits. And it's like, okay, cool, everybody's being healthy, making these juices, getting all these nutrients they weren't getting and had no idea that celery and carrots and kale mixed together tasted good and delicious. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> I, that was a bad example. I don't know. Anyways, but like, so I got a juicer, but now all of a sudden it's like, juicing's not good enough. Now you got to get cold pressed because when you're juicing, you're basically just like beating the the fruit or the vegetable and not getting the nutrients. Is that something that is all over time has been researched that it's just evolving, or is this just like a trend that got people to buy juicers and then now like you go for the cold press stuff because. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, I got a juicer, but now I'm being told that juicing's not good enough. I need to get cold press. And it's like, well, why? I don't. In honesty, like if from what I've read, and of course, this isn't going to be like 100% accurate to every situation. From from what I've read, um, cold press for general health benefit is not necessarily absolutely needed. I mean, in reality, the only big difference, and this even goes a little bit into a question that we were asked, so I'll just kind of loop them in together. I mean, with juicing, you may lose some of the nutrients associated with that if you're, you know, just getting rid of the, the outside of it. So, like, the exterior, closer to the exterior, you might lose fiber. You might lose some nutrients that naturally lie closer to that exterior. So, um, I mean, there's some loss there. Excessive heat may indicate marginal breakdown of certain heat-sensitive nutrients, but, I mean, it's nothing that, you know, oh, no, I cooked this, or oh, no, I used a, a juicer that got a little warm. Like, my, my nutrients are all gone. This is a waste. Like, d please don't feel like that. 
I think a lot of it is marketing trends and, you know, just minor percentages and differences. But, uh, you know, like I usually ask my clients, you know, there's definitely a lot of health benefit to getting in plant-based foods, fruits, vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm like, well, do you prefer eating or drinking them? And if you prefer drinking them, are you willing to pay for the convenience and potential loss, you know, like the edible portion of what you're getting, loss in money and loss in nutrition with that? I mean, green juices and just juicing in general is not a bad substitution, especially for those who have um, very, I guess, say distinct food preferences. Like if I've had, I have a lot of clients that are like, I absolutely refuse to eat fruits and vegetables. I'm like, well, how do you feel about smoothies or juice or things like that? I mean, I, I guess it's just if you're willing to pay for convenience and if you don't like eating them, go ahead. But personally, I That's like it. That's why you're throwing spinach in my smoothies and stuff. Right? I'm on to you. She's, she's <laughs> catching on. She's like, it's not magic anymore. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> she's getting on to me. So going to keep rolling along the same topic. So uh, one of the Conqueror Long Pro Team sponsors, Juice Performer, does beet juice, but they also do cherry juice. So uh, Jared Renier also asked a follow-up question related to cherry juice. So he basically wanted to know, should I use it, and kind of if so, when? And we just talked about this, so I'm excited that this was a question. Yeah. Yeah, cherry juice um, is definitely a pretty hotly contested, I guess, say supplement or product inside of sports nutrition. Um, because it has been clinically demonstrated to reduce blood markers consistent with inflammation. So there is validity there, um, but I always encourage people to think around what context for it to be used, because inflammation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, inflammation, I guess you say, is a catalyst for improvements inside of exercise performances. You know, we, we get to adapt through our body sensing inflammation in different areas through, you know, different mechanisms, so, you know, it, it's appropriate for improving. You got to, you know, for let's say muscle tissue, for example, you know, lifting weights, you have to break muscle down to build them back up. But that inflammation response is actually associated with building those muscles up stronger and larger if you're going more for hypertrophy. I mean, there's even, you know, if you get in some very niche supplements used by some strength training athletes, some bodybuilding athletes, they use supplements that actually increase inflammation that way their body can you know recover from that and potentially recover even stronger you know it might reduce time for recovery but they might get a little bit more recovery benefit over a longer period of time i haven't looked specifically in the research of it but i am aware of those products out there um, but what i can say is that you know there's mixed research regarding usage of anti-inflammatory exogenous compounds, so things like cherry, vitamin E, vitamin C, um, during adaptation phases of training. So oftentimes, like, I mean, I, I had a lot of athletes that were using these products. I, I say that they can be beneficial under some circumstances. So I asked them, you know, under what's their goal of taking it, under what circumstances are they taking it? Uh, because... Basically, let's say a lot of research demonstrates, you know, best practice or usage of 8 to 12 ounces twice a day um, if you're doing this four to five days prior to competition to facilitate recovery and so you can perform optimally during that event or if you're using it for two to three days after that competition for recovery if desired. But the thing is, if you're doing, if you're doing adaptation training, especially that regarding um, you know, muscular strength, muscular endurance, 
things like speed work where you're working more on not even necessarily the aerobic element, but a little bit more of the, the muscle end of that development, it's probably not going to be optimal because it might be a, a very small rate limiter on your gains in that circumstance. So, I mean, and I'll say not that I, not that I'm telling to everyone to do as I do, but I'm one who believes in incorporating more anti-inflammatory foods during a tapering phase going into a race and recovering from a race so I can start getting the training a little bit sooner. So under those circumstances, I think it's ideal for kind of like a daily supplement for people to use during adaptation phases of training, probably not the most ideal. Yeah, I think the, I mean, that was an absolutely great answer. You know, not all products and not all foods are good at all times of the day or times of the year, depending on your training season. You know, an example is like some of the endurance fuels I use, right? Like high nutrition stuff. Like I wouldn't sit around my couch eating those because <laughs> I'm not burning that type of calories and I don't need that type of fuel in- income. It's not mean the food's bad for you. It's just like, that's not what I need right now. Mm-hmm. And bad timing. Bad timing, yeah. Definitely uh, circumstantial. And, you know, like, I I definitely use the cherry juice that way. Like, if I'm tapering for something, I increase my cherry juice intake. But if it's early, you know, January, February, March, before I actually start racing, you know, I'm not typically taking cherry juice because I want that, like you were saying, I want that inflammation to cause adaptation. You know, every time, you know, my mom, my mom loves me, so she's always concerned about my health. So every time we do one of these, like, big races, you know, I'm like, I'm limping around afterwards <laughs> and I look terrible. And she's like, take some ibuprofen and i'm like no No. i refuse to take ibuprofen you know it's gonna limit my gains (laughs) my endurance gains because i want i want that stress on my body Uh so my body knows how to deal with it and recover and adapt next time Mm -hmm. um so i I don't take ibuprofen unless i'm like injured and need to uh perform for a specific race like that's the only time i'll I'll even take it period well and i love this question because of the fact like luke working with you i'm not not knocking Juice Performer by any means because I love them. They're a great sponsor, a great product. But for those that don't know or say, I mean, I sought out your help to educate myself basically more so I can make better choices. But it was like I saw Juice Performer. I tried the cherry juice. I loved it. It tasted good. It says on the can it helps fight inflammation. So I was taking it and drinking it. Like after, you know, a hard workout, I drink it because that's, what I was just thinking. And then after talking with you, and it makes sense, like, when you explain this. So your answer was awesome because I'm not saying don't, and but you corrected me, and, like, you don't need to drink it every day because, like you said, you want that inflammation, but you also told me, hey, the week before the race, you know, if you're going to start taking that so that come race day, inflammation's done. And it's, it's like, okay, cool. So definitely seek out the help from someone like you that has proper answers, and it's not against the product or company because, again, they are selling and trying to make money off their products. So, yeah, it says helps reduce inflammation, but it's not going to have more science on the can, obviously. Mm-hmm. But So I love it, and it's good it was tasting. It's way better than the beet, beet juice, in my <laughs> opinion. It does different things. <laughs> but now I know, like, okay, don't drink it every day because it tastes good, and you're like, thinking it helps. Like, I now know to wait until race week or something when it's going to benefit me more. So that was a really good question, Jared. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Jared. Sweet. All right, then one more, uh, one more from Jared. We ca- well, we covered one of these already. He was asking about you know drinking versus eating greens, uh, so we're gonna kind of skip over that one. But I do want to hit up his other question, which is, should I use a multivitamin? Um, so basically, he wants to know, you know, is it really helping? Is it an actual safety net, or am, am I just turning my urine neon colored for fun? <laughs> I'm glad I'm on this podcast because these are great questions that I yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad because there were there were more questions, but in honesty. 
I think, uh, you know, from what we discussed pre-show, I think these were going to be the ones that would impact the most people listening. You know, there are some that were very specific. Um, so, and I, I, I always joke around. I always say um, only Sith deal in absolutes. If you're a Star Wars nerd, you'll pick that up. Boom. Love it. <laughs> Never seen it. Only Sith deal. <laughs> Don't make me go get my lightsaber. Boom. <laughs> But anyway, uh, because, you know, a lot of products, a lot of things will claim thing, um, make certain claims like this will always do this. This will always do that. I'm the kind of person that's going to say, hey, this is very likely to do this or this will probably do this. But I'm not going to bet my license. I'm not going to bet, you know, my career on saying that it will. So um, anyhow, so I try to make a, you know my answers specific enough to provide the education that someone needs, but also broad enough to you know protect licensing, and then as well, um, so I don't get any angry emails like you said that this wouldn't do this and it did this. I'm like, well, you know what? Um, you know, out of eight billion people on the planet, there's going to be one person that may not necessarily, you know, be be the outlier in that. There's going to be one person that doesn't necessarily affect that person the same as you know. 99.9% of the rest of the population. I mean, even if you look at research statistics, you know, there's always a group of non-responders. There's always a small group of individuals who, for whatever reason, genetically, lifestyle, gender, et cetera, et cetera, it just didn't apply to them. By the way, so um, multivitamin use. So um, in my experience, multivitamin can be a good tool, but it's not absolutely essential for everyone, especially if you're consuming a balanced diet that yields sufficient energy um, for weight maintenance or weight gain. Because generally, the, the athletes who prioritize their nutrition and are eating at maintenance or for weight gain are likely getting all of their micronutrient needs. And so... In that circumstance, probably not needed, and a lot of research has demonstrated that there's not necessarily any performance or health benefit to exceeding those recommendations unless your diet is not providing the optimal amount of what you need. Um, with that being said, there are some athletes who may see some benefit in this, and this may be those who are restricting intake for weight management. Um, you know, so if someone's restricting their energy intake by 10%, um, you know, just generally speaking, that's 10% less nutrition they may theoretically be missing out on. You know, oftentimes when I work with a, an athlete on weight management program, I'm like, all right, well, we're going to be implementing more nutrient-dense foods to make sure you're getting your micronutrient needs during weight loss. But, you know, um, we're humans. We make errors. Oftentimes, you know, we're not going to eat our diet 100% as it's prescribed. There's going to be days where we're traveling. There's going to be days where it's holidays. There's going to be days where, you know, for whatever reason, we can't get to the grocery store and make food. And on those days where, you know, there's that, you know, that minor window of, hey, I only got, you know, 80, 90% of this need. Uh, how am I going to make up the extra 10%? Generally, uh, your basic multivitamin can fill in that gap. So anyhow, so those restricting weight may see benefit in it. Um, those who omit certain foods or food groups from their diet may also see benefit. So if anyone's, you know, following a certain type of diet, let's say like vegetarian, for example, maybe you're not getting your B12. Under that circumstance, supplementing with multivitamin or a specific, you know, nutrient in that circumstance would be advantageous. Um, so that's another circumstance. And potentially those with an anatomical or physiological dysfunction causing a reduction in absorption. Um, some examples of that would be athletes with cystic fibrosis, gastric bypass, someone with in inflammatory bowel. Um, you know, there, there's a hundred 
different, you know, dysfunctions that may cause limited absorption. So in those circumstances, hey, it's probably going to be your benefit to take in a little bit extra just to make sure you get that optimal absorption, get as much absorption as you can. Um, and basically, if I were to give a verdict on this, you know, it, some people, it, it gives them a clear conscience at night knowing that they took a multivitamin or it's something that they did every day since they were a child. They took a multivitamin. I mean, you know, you don't need the, the top tier $40 a month multivitamin. You know, if your diet's in the right place, you can afford to get, you know, the, the one-a-day men's, you know, for a few bucks a month and you're going to be okay. Um, if you're one of the people in the categories that I kind of talked about, you know, I would consider seeing your physician or registered dietitian for supplement recommendations, um, you know, just not to give out blanket, you know, diet advice, diet prescription randomly online. I would always suggest following up with a healthcare provider before pursuing that. And then talking a little bit about just if you were to take it, under what circumstance to take it, like how to take it. Um, oftentimes people take a multivitamin on an empty stomach with coffee in the morning, which is not necessarily the best uh, best guidelines for that because some of the nutrients in that coffee may actually inhibit absorption of some of the nutrients inside of that multivitamin. So I always encourage people to take a multivitamin with a well-rounded meal that does not include coffee or tea, but it should include a good fat source. Uh, that way you can optimize those fat, fat-soluble fat um, vitamin consumption, so things like ADEK. So let's say, for example, if you had a, a pasta dinner and you use some olive oil in that pasta and you put chicken breast in your sauce and you also put spinach and all that good stuff in your sauce and whatnot, whatever. So you have a pretty balanced meal that contains good amount of nutrients that help facilitate the absorption. That's going to be the best practice for taking it. Well, so to piggyback off this multivitamin question and like a kind of a personal reference with you providing me nutrition and stuff, I do take a one a day vitamin. Is it something that you're at this point, like if I'm finally on track and following what nutrition you're recommending, I might not need the multivitamin anymore. Or is there such a thing as like too much? I mean, if I'm taking the multivitamin Mm -hmm. still, but following your recommended nutrition, Mm -hmm. can I, like, is there overdoing it or like a bad? I mean, should I not be taking my multivitamin if I'm following what you're telling me is healthy and what my body needs? That's a wonderful question. So in honesty, most of your vitamin and mineral supplements out there, well, let me say this. Most of your multivitamin supplements out there are dosed that they won't really cause any toxicity issues. Um, you know, you're not going to reach toxicity with uh, water soluble. So we're making the joke having colorful pee, having neon pee. If you've taken too much water soluble, you're essentially just going to excrete them. Um, with the fat soluble vitamins, you know, the toxicity range is relatively high. So you're likely not to reach that through a healthy diet and a multivitamin. You just won't really see any more benefit from overeating. But I will say if you take a specific, let's say, for example, I'm like, oh, like I'm trying to make those inflammation gains or reductions, whatnot. So I'm going to take a standalone vitamin E supplement, which is fat soluble. And you take like a butt ton of vitamin E, you're probably much more likely to reach that um, that toxicity range because you're taking a specific one ingredient vitamin. But for just a multivitamin, you know, that has one pretty standard size pill, you're going to be okay. You know, um, very rare. I can't say 100% of the time. I could say under most circumstances, you're going to be okay. And from what I've found, most of the athletes that I talk to that, you know, are, are really serious about their diet, like I said, it might help them sleep a little bit better at night. 
you know, no. Well, it's funny that you, funny that you mentioned that because it's just like, I mean, at some point, anything, whether it's good for you or not, too much of something good for you at some point is going to be bad for mm-hmm. you. Right? So, I mean, like you said, like, if you take, I mean, too much vitamin E, at some point, it's going to kind of, like, counteract what it's actually beneficial supposed to be doing. Exactly. And if you look up, like, some of the side effects of, like, um, toxicity ranges of of fat-soluble vitamins, it's pretty crazy when you get closer to it. You know, like, really weird stuff goes on in your body when you're you're getting that high in excess of anything. And, like, a a lot of my job when I talk with clients is making them understand that, you know, it – Oh, oftentimes it is the dose that makes the poison. Like I jokingly say that, you know, like let's say water, for example, you know, you can get hyponatremia or basically low blood um, concentration of sodium from over drinking water, you know, water poisoning, things like that associated with drinking way too much water. And you can kill yourself by drinking too much water, but water is considered essential. But too much of something can definitely cause negative consequences. Well, and I think back to the very beginning, it's all about balance, like with the alcohol question about balance, because I was talking to you, I brought up like pickles, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, because a, a cucumber is a vegetable, so where does a pickle <laughs> fall on the like vegetable spectrum? <laughs> and obviously there's sodium involved in the pickles, and you're kind of like, well, again, your sodium intake, you're going to hold water more, so it's like how much water, how much sodium, it's all a give and take and all in moderation, so it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy, you have to, I mean... You can do too much of one thing, you're going to be very healthy and take your vitamins, but then you're going to do too much of that and kind of counteract and negatively affect the other stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of balance. Even, I guess you could say it extends past diet. It's like a life philosophy, like keeping everything in balance. That's a good way to like, you know, kind of connect the dots between a lot of people. You know, like let's say for exercise, yeah, I have someone who knows a lot about exercise and they come to me looking for diet and they're like, oh, well, you said that uh, – that kale's awesome, so I'm going to eat kale every meal. I'm going to eat a pound of kale every meal. I'm like, well, you know, kale is, is rich in a lot of nutrients, but it also contains some oxalates, which may limit absorption of other things. So, I mean, when we think about a strength training program, I kind of talk to them in a language that they're familiar with. I'm like, strength training. I'm like, all right, so you like squatting. Person A is like, yeah, I love squatting. I'm like, how many days a week do you squat? And they're like, eh, maybe I squat once or one or two days a week. I was like, all right, cool. Well, do you think that it's conducive for your exercise program to squat three times a day, seven days a week. And they're like, well, maybe not. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't be eating, you know, certain foods every meal, you know, every day of the week. That's- that was a good example. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, it's been great, Luke. Ton of great information on this podcast. We're definitely going to do this again at some point during the year. We will definitely uh, make announcements both from the Strength and Speed Facebook page and from the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team Facebook page. So if anyone has any more questions when we record another with this episode, probably in about, I don't know, like three to six months from now or something like that, and uh, we'll have to bring you on and have you answer a bunch more questions because I think, I think we're going to get a lot of positive feedback on this episode. Bef- I will. I just want to say like a kind of a personal testimony from someone with you and diet-related and as an athlete um, who tried to perform based off like natural ability and talent of just being an athlete and someone that could do that but had a terrible diet i mean i'm sure you see all kinds of diets and i'd like to say and be honest that i have a i had a terrible eating habits but like reach out to someone and this information right here helps a lot but if you can and you feel that your diet's off like get help because i briefly earlier said that to add to his um credentials he's a magician because (laughs) I I love food and I eat for things that taste good, 
But I realized that, you know, like, I've done great in races, but just imagine to myself, like, if I actually got my diet in check, how much better I could be if I was eating to perform better. So that's why, Luke, I reached out to you. And the magician status is (laughs) I love food, and I told him what my favorite things were, and he helped me eat healthy but still get like the flavor profile and the taste of what I want so I can still eat something that tastes like cheesecake but like meet my nutrient needs and it's just it's awesome and I recommend whether Luke they come to you for help or someone else that has a background and knowledge in the science behind it it helps like if you're if you want to perform better if you want to change your lifestyle if you want to get better eating habits to the point where I'm already like I said I'm sad I don't want to drink my Dr Pepper I haven't eaten <laughs> this bowl of candy on my table and I haven't drank all the beer and alcohol in my fridge that I normally would have about a month ago and so personally thank you to Luke for that and I'm excited and I hope others kind of listen to me or anybody else that like I had terrible eating habits I binge drink binge eat sugar candy it's bad but if you are dedicated and you have a passion for something or if you want to be better or benefit your lifestyles or changes put your mind to it and again whether mine's not a new year's resolution i just set out and was like i need to make this change and it's been i think maybe going on close to about a month luke now i'm about to come on maybe four weeks that i've already seen awesome benefits and all i want to do is just like share it with others like oh my gosh i was this person that had terrible stuff and i never thought i'd change and i love it so it's i don't i'm, I'm not giving up drinking because i have a beer in my hand and <laughs> i still eat bad but because of what you've taught me like i know that this weekend i didn't go crazy and when had a healthy lunch today and was like in moderation. I'm learning. So thank you. You're doing great. And thank you for the the kind words. I wish that I could magic or I could put magic on my resume, but um, unfortunately is not one of my skills, but I will take it. I will take it if referred to by others. That's awesome. So, and I'll, I'll throw in that as someone who's been involved in fitness and um, you know, with my job, you know, you have to take mandatory fitness tests you know, every couple of months, you know, over the years, especially when we were younger, you know, it, it almost seemed like it didn't matter what you ate. You could just eat whatever. But you add up three years, five years, a decade of nutritional choices. And like the people who were consistently making, you know, bad nutritional choices, but were genetically gifted or maybe had a higher training volume when they were younger. Um, like I've just seen those people progressively gain weight and progressively get slower, progressively get weaker. While like I feel like I feel like I haven't made any significant gains. I've just been like really steady and really consistent for what most people consider a really long time, um, and it's kind of led me to where I am today in my, my kind of fitness journey. So, just my two cents in there. And if you read my book Strength and Speed's Guide to Lead Obstacle Course Racing, I actually put the nutrition part. It's like in one of the first three or four chapters because I know when I was like first getting involved in fitness, one of the things I would do is like. I'd read the book, and like the nutrition's always the last chapter in the book. And I'd always be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm running a lot. I'll just <laughs> eat whatever I want. It will be fine. And it's like, well, I mean, you could do that, but that's like, if you really want to perform at your best, that's really not the best way to go about things. So, I am biased, but I do agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Are we getting to the fun part now? Yeah, we're getting to the fun part. It's so, all fun. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to close out the podcast. Uh, so we've got three people on. We'll do one thing you do not like. You, you tell some, eh, tell something, Brenna. Just take over. <laughs> Say you look at me. What is something that you look at me and you wouldn't know, or like it's you know everybody that knows me give a little secret into your life. So um, we're gonna start with our guest, put you on the spot. Oh, 
for those that know you or something kind of random, is there like what would be a random fact that you'd like to share that not everybody knows about you? So I'll, I'll share a random fact that I think surprisingly very few people know about me. And honestly, there may only be like two or three people that know this about me. Um, Ooh, getting, getting it's, it's intense. So I refuse to wear bow ties. I hate bow ties. I look absolutely. Have you been sick. asked to wear a bow tie that's a, real, a lot? Yeah, that's a real deep. That's so personal. I feel like I'm like peering into your soul right now. <laughs> like I, I wore a bow tie uh, for one of my buddy's weddings. So that was a, a groomsman, and that was the only time I have ever voluntarily worn a bow tie. I just, I don't like anything about them. I think they make me look silly. I think she's dying over here. She's dying over here. She's trying to like not laugh into the mic. But she's like turning red and in tears. There's there's nothing I enjoy about bow ties. I I don't think they look. I don't think they look trendy. I don't think they look. Cool. Who comes up with that as a an issue? You got like a fear of bow tie. Oh, I am like so anti bow tie. It's not even funny. I will say like the ones where you tie yourself, like an actual bow tie, not a clip on, look like garbage every single time <laughs> because no one can do it well. And, like, you kind of get it close, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is good enough. And it just you just look like – I mean, you look like you're drunk already before the wedding has even started because <laughs> your bow tie looks like hot garbage. It's like a, um, on Pinterest. I, I'm, I don't have such an, a, a strong hatred like you do, <laughs> but, I mean, I do think I do think a tie looks more professional. Agreed. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know, but bow ties have been kind of trendy now. Maybe that's no, why. It's... Like, all the news reporters, like, it's cool to wear a bow tie now. No. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I look at a, like, it's like Pinterest, expectation versus reality. Like, a bow tie, unless professionally done, never looks good. Like, never. And, I mean, I'm not I'm not a fashionista. I don't, you know, I'm nothing crazy. I usually stick to the grayscale for my colors. Like, grayscale and very similar colors off of that. You know, very neutral, very easy to match. But I mean, there there's nothing that uh, that draws me to wear a bow tie, and um, I don't think I'm ever going to buy a bow tie, no matter how many times. Here's a here's a pro tip for if you uh, need to dress up nice. Like when I had to buy a new suit, which I rarely do, I just went to like Express and I literally bought the outfit off the mannequin. <laughs> I was like, just give me that, and it. And like what I swear, it didn't have a bow tie. <laughs> no, it didn't have a bow tie. And like I was working out of, uh, I was actually working at the embassy in Lebanon, and I got so many compliments on my outfit. And I was like, <laughs> "You're damn right," because some some professional picked it out for a mannequin, oh, crushing it. That's good advice. So that's that's my pro tip for dressing nice. No bow. All right. Oh, y'all are killing me. Brenna, what do you got? Nothing as good. As <laughs> I'm, I gotta come up with some good ones. I'm running, I uh, used up my really good one earlier today, but um, <laughs> for today, so my nickname, a lot know me as Brenna Red Beast Calvert, and I do have red compression marina tights, I have red and black Innovate shoes, red everything, red hair, but guess what? My favorite color is not red. Anybody got a guess? It's gotta be green. No? Be, oh, well, it should, be green now. it should be green now. <laughs> Crap. I mean, yes. No. I will let everybody know in case you want to ever buy me anything in my favorite color. My favorite color is actually orange. And it's burnt orange like the sunset because Which is UT. Like red. Like no, red. it is not. University <laughs> of Texas burnt orange is like a brownish orange. That's red and that's orange. I'm looking at my red cutting board versus the hummus sitting in front of Evan. Orange <laughs> and red. 
two totally different things. So yes, I'm Red Beast because I have red hair and Garfield just came up with that. And now everything I have racing, it tends to be red. My kitchen, I actually have a red blender, a red microwave. <laughs> it happened. But my favorite color is orange. So everybody, get it right. Okay? <laughs> Burnt orange. That's pretty not, not any orange. Evan, is yours as good as that? <laughs> um, so we'll, you mentioned it earlier. You made a Star Wars reference in the podcast. <laughs> and nerd alert. Nerd alert. I am a huge... I'm a huge... I love Star Wars. Like I saw... When the new episode, you know, episodes one and two came out, Was I saw it like them. Eight. Yeah, well, I saw them. Op- I saw them opening night at midnight. Like, uh, we, you know, we came into school on like two hours of sleep because I was still in high school. When the first did you wear a costume? Episode 70s. one. No, episode one. Star Wars episode oh 70s? my god she doesn't know. know the episodes no, I don't i'm not gonna explain this on the podcast <laughs> because everyone should know this already um anyway where i was going with that is so i have a pretty sweet lightsaber at my house oh, yeah. brenna's uh, brenna just fell out of her chair um it's like Where's a legit it's so it, it's like it's because i was i was like debating whether to buy it because it's like it is expensive and like you're like what the hell am i gonna do with this thing but it looks awesome, and my four-year-old daughter loves it. Oh, smidge. So it is like, I like chase her around the house with it. It lights up. It makes noise. It like, it's legit. Super awesome. This company just... company called Ultra Sabers makes them, if anyone else wants to go like, all what nerd out. What about a lightsaber for real? That beats my blanket and teddy bear. You have a lightsaber. Yeah. I'll, we'll do it. I'll, I'll put, put an Instagram video on it when this posts or something, because it's like, it's baller. I need it. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where people don't want to admit it. They're like, this is the greatest oh purchase gosh. I've ever made. So Next pro team takeover event, Evan is bringing his <laughs> lightsaber. <laughs> Sword fighting lightsaber. You got to go all in. I'm all about, I go all in on everything when it's something interesting. So. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the podcast. Before we go, final shout outs. Luke, you want to give any family, friends, sponsors? Uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, how do people get signed up as a new, under your program? Awesome. A uh, shout out. So, first one to my lovely fiance Liz, who is currently working at the hospital right now, uh, doing the work that I am not willing to do. She's a, a BSN a nurse, so kudos to her. Uh, she's a great support and always willing to uh, be behind me in anything I choose to pursue. So, thank you, um, friends, family, all the love. Of course, strength and speed. Always a pleasure working with our athletes and, of course, uh, teammates and whatnot. Um, shout out to Cleveland Obstacle Racing Alliance or Cobra, a great group of uh, guys and gals up in Northeast Ohio. So if you're ever in the area, want to train, or if you're you know looking uh, looking to join a group, I would encourage you to look into there. Of course, uh, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. Look forward to working with you all. Um, and uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I have Facebook. I have Instagram. I have Twitter, but I don't really check my Twitter. Uh, but what's your Instagram? So I top, I stopped tagging the wrong Luke Levante, oh, yeah. which I've done for over a year now. <laughs> that one dude is like what? Yeah, that's inside inside scoop. He's been tagging like another Luke Levante, uh, some random Luke Levante. He's been tagging like all my strength and speed posts. <laughs> it took me and like, it took me, yeah. it took me like a year. You? Like, yeah. Stop tagging me. They, I, I looked at his page and it like has like almost no posts. <laughs> It's like one of those dudes who created a page and like is like I don't. So it's I like don't... the second strength and speed page because it's all tagged by you. <laughs> so. Anyway, sorry. Oh, what's your okay. Instagram handle? If you want to get me through Instagram, it's l underscore squared underscore r. If you want to get me at Facebook, it is. Well, you just Google search my name, Luke Labonte, or it is. 
Facebook. L U C, not L U K E, like Luke Skywalker. Yeah, <laughs> I, no big deal. I'm very French. I am exceedingly French. So you can find me at facebook.com slash lrlabonte. Uh, if you want to reach me through email, uh, shoot me an email at labonterluke at gmail.com. Um, if you're interested in any services, you know, just reach out. I'll tell you the next step. There's paperwork involved, confidentiality, all that good stuff. Um, but anyhow, that is me. Awesome. Well, I my my shout out. I mean, it's a perfect episode. My shout out is to you <laughs> <laughs> because, like I said, I I kind of started working with you based off from mainly, mainly you were teammates, strength and speed teammates, and had heard you on podcast with Evan. I looked to Evan for recommendations, and I trust his expertise. And you were one of the people. You know, I made a post on Facebook like, "Who uses who for nutrition information or meal prep?" And um, all these people came up with stuff, and I, your name was mentioned. I was like, "Wait, that's like a teammate. Let me go with someone that I feel comfortable with." I know that and dude. thank you for everything you've done. And I'm excited that like me working with you. I think it's gonna be great for the pro team because I think a lot of us need that help. And again, I think everybody whether they admit it or not, might need some nutritional help. So I, I've i got it, and thank you because I've already felt improvement. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what 2019 holds, and I will give a lot of credit to my new magician friend. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Just head over to the Conquer the Gauntlet Protein Facebook page. We have a lot of new sponsors. Well, I don't say a lot. We have several new sponsors coming on for 2019. Uh, so just head over there. There's definitely going to be some stuff you want to get involved in, um, not only Luke, but uh, some training stuff like that. So check it out. Good That's stuff. about all we got. Uh, we will catch all of you later. Thanks again, Luke, for coming on. Yep, no problem. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to the next time. 